If you want a title for this message, it's this. One, yet two. One, yet two. We find this concept described in various ways in the New Testament. What on earth am I talking about? One flock, yet two different species, sheep and goats. One field, yet two plants, wheat and tares. One harvest, yet two products, wheat and chaff. What's the Bible talking about? One world, yet two peoples, saved and unsaved, believers and unbelievers, repentant and unrepentant, children of God, children of wrath. I could go on. Light, dark. One. Apparently, yet two. One of the things that people are very good at is becoming partisan, taking sides. In the United States in recent weeks, it's become more apparent than ever just how vast a gulf there is between Republican and Democrat. If you weren't aware of that before, you can't fail to have noticed it by now. And then it seems even the Republicans are taking those sides now as to whether or not they are continuing in their support of Mr. Trump. Well, good luck to them over there. Before that, here in the UK, it was all about Brexit. In or out, leave or remain. Are you for lockdown or are you against lockdown? You see it in the House of Commons at the dispatch box as the main opposition party tries to take to, ca take to task Her Majesty's government. Two sides pitting themselves against each other is amply demonstrated in the world of sport. Most of the biggest spectator sports involve two teams on a pitch or in a stadium with their respective fans both cheering them whilst hurling insults and often too sadly abuse at the other team and their fans. We see it as the BBC and ITV vie for primetime viewers. And as we were reminded this morning from 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul shows us that even in churches, we can find ourselves taking sides for all kinds of reasons. In Paul's day, the problem was people taking sides behind certain Christian personalities, we might call it today, pitting one against the other. Very dangerous, very sinful in the church, a severe threat to unity in the church. But we see it everywhere. We are exceptionally good at taking sides. Sometimes it can be a good and necessary thing. Sometimes it can be an unbelievably destructive thing. Some, sometimes it can be about something that just doesn't matter at all. 
like football, believe it or not. The wisdom that we've been thinking about in Proverbs on Wednesdays, well, it's much needed, isn't it, to know which is which. In the Bible, God reveals something. It's something which is frequently mentioned in this church. It's frequently mentioned in churches like this church. But outside of these four walls, largely is unknown by most men and women. Two opposing positions which involve every person who's ever been born into this world. And although most people are completely unaware of it, it will one day be seen and recognized by all. All at the same time. And all will realize right there and right then that in the end and at the end there's only one thing that matters. Which of these two positions are you in? Everyone will be faced with a day. It is certain. It is coming. It is promised in the word. The only thing that will matter to you, to anyone, is which of those two positions you are in. Now, in verses 11 and 12 of Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist begins to speak about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking about in verse 12, when he says his winnowing fan is in his hand. He's talking about Jesus. And then you'll see that the very next verse begins with these five words, or at least in our New King James Version, it's five words. Then Jesus came from Galilee. He's talking about Jesus, and from there, John the Baptist disappears into the background, and Christ, if you like, takes center stage, to use a phrase. But what, what is John talking about here in verse 12, speaking about the person of Christ? Three things. Number one, Christ will judge. There's going to be a process and a time of separation. A separation of this group of people from that group of people. Now the illustration that John the Baptist uses in verse 12 is the separation of wheat from chaff. The harvest is brought in, and the actual grain of the, the, the grain itself needs to be separated from all the unwanted husks and fibers, the chaff. The chaff is of no use or purpose whatsoever. It's the actual grain itself that's required and needed. That's what is useful. That's what can be sent to the mill and be ground into flour. The winnowing fan is the implement used by the farmer to achieve this required separation of the two. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is talking about the same thing but uses a slightly different illustration where he tells a parable and there it's about wheat and tares. The wheat is grown and sowed but a false crop 
tares is sown amongst the wheat, it's done by someone whose intention is to spoil the crop. Well, we leave them to grow together, says Jesus, side by side. But the time of harvest will come, and at the harvest, the wheat and the tares will be separated. It might look like one crop, but it's two, and they'll be separated. Jump forward to chapter 25 of Matthew's Gospel, and Jesus uses a different illustration there. Also for the, from the world of farming, and it would have been very familiar to his first century audience. Here's a farmer with his flock. Stand from a distance, and all the animals in that flock seem to be the same. They even sound much the same from a distance. But as you get closer, you start to notice some differences. They are not all the same kind of animal in that flock after all. There's actually two types of animal here. Some are sheep and some are goats. There are actually some breeds of sheep and goat which can look remarkably similar. They appear to be a single flock. But actually they are two flocks. And this is what we read in Matthew 25, starting at verse 32. Jesus speaking, all the nations... All the nations will be gathered before him, apparently as one. And he will separate them, one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. The ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is to bring about this separation. The wheat from the chaff, the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goats. Now this isn't my theme this afternoon, but the Bible actually teaches that from before the foundation of the world, the wheat actually has always been wheat. And the sheep have always been sheep. And the chaff and the tares and the goats have always been that. These two groups of people have always been known to God. Even before the first of them were created. It was for the sheep that Christ came into the world to die and to save and rescue them. He's come to save his people from their sins. But of course... All are born together into this world. And in the eyes of the world, maybe in your eyes, these two great distinctions, for the most part, go unseen. Probably not noticed, probably not cared about. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come into the world to bring about their separation. A process and a time of separation, and broadly speaking, it comes in two stages. It begins through gospel preaching. God's message of salvation is preached, declared, shared, passed on, made known. Because it's something that every Christian 
can do. It's something that every Christian ought to be doing. You might never get to stand at a pulpit and preach, but you will have people and situations and circumstances where you can share Christ with others and make him known. The message of salvation from sin, achieved through the atoning blood of Christ and by his resurrection. We thought about some of those things last Sunday afternoon. And the challenge is issued and the question is asked. And the, the charge is put to people. Repent and believe this gospel. Believe in Christ. Put your trust in Christ. And Jesus said in, in the proclaiming of the gospel, as the, as the mouths of men and women utter the good news, his sheep are called. As men and women speak, his sheep hear his voice and they follow him and they become separated. Have you done that? Have you heard the voice of Christ in the gospel calling you to repentance and to trust him and love him and follow him? And the wheat is separated from the chaff in salvation in repentance and faith in Christ. And that process and that time has been going on for 2,000 years. Still going on today. Maybe it will happen to you today. If it's never happened before. Well that's the first stage. Of how Christ brings about this separation. But there's another one. Do you remember Jesus said all nations will be gathered before him? And when you get to the very last book of the Bible, the Revelation, the Apostle John, not John the Baptist, the Apostle John receives this, rev this vision from Jesus. And right towards the end, he sees all of humankind standing before God. There's been this great resurrection of everyone, and there they stand, great and small, before God. Every man, woman, boy and girl who's ever lived Standing before God. And another great and final separation takes place. That day is yet to come. But that will be the day when, when Christ returns. And there we read in Revelation chapter 20. That all will be judged. They'll be judged according to their sins. They will be punished according to their sins. Unless. Your name is written in the book of life. In which case there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There will be a separation which will last forever. That day is not yet but it's coming. And in the meantime that first process goes on as the gospel is made known, made known, made known. Christ will judge. Number two, Christ will gather. He will gather. We are in a, a great age of gospel witness. It started 2,000 years ago 
you could argue that it started way before that in the Old Testament. We won't go into that. It started in the way that we know of the gospel, talking about Christ who's died and been crucified. It started 2,000 years ago with that event. And God poured out his spirit, didn't he, upon his fledgling church in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And the gospel and the church, as we know and understand it today, was established by God there. And Jesus, before his ascension back into heaven to be with his father again, he charged his apostles, didn't he, to take this gospel into the whole world, beginning at Jerusalem. And that's a work they began to do, and it's been going on ever since. It will end when every last one of Christ's sheep has been gathered in. Who are they all? How many are there? How many more are yet to be called? God alone knows the answers to those questions. How much longer? Are we nearly done? Are we barely started? God alone knows the answer to those questions. Some will say it must be soon. The Bible says no one knows. And it will be on a day when you do not expect it. It might be just around the corner. Or this whole gospel age might still be in its infancy. But live as though it could be today. That's what the Bible says. Live like it could be today. Think about the gospel today as if this will be your very last opportunity to think about it. Because no one knows. Christ will gather and the picture in Matthew 3 verse 12 is of a harvest fully and safely gathered in and securely stored in the barn. Just one barn, notice. God has one people, one church, all the grain in the barn, safe. It says there in that verse that he will do it thoroughly. He'll do it thoroughly. And I, I have a suspicion that Christ's version of thoroughly is rather more thorough than yours and mine. Not one single grain will be missed, lost, or left unaccounted for. Isn't that good to know? Not a single grain will be missing. All of his sheep will hear their shepherd's voice. And not a single flake of chaff will mistakenly make its way into the barn. They'll be separated. In Matthew 25, what of those sheep and goats that Jesus used as his illustration there? The sheep, he says, will be placed on his right hand. And they will enter into God's kingdom and they will receive their inheritance, eternal life. The judge of all will take his children home, as we sang in our opening hymn. 
Are you a Christian? How can you not be overflowing with thankfulness and praise at these great truths that even John the Baptist knew? Christ will gather you in. If you're a Christian, he's already done it. He's gathering in his own. What a glorious privilege it is now then to become a herald and an ambassador of this amazing gospel and this glorious saviour. And that you now have a part to play in this great ingathering of the saints. Come on, keep on. There are still souls to be won. Christ still is gathering in his people. And if you're a Christian and you'll allow this final point that we're coming on to in a moment to grab you as it should, you'll see again the urgency of the task. Because Christ will gather. But standing along that, standing alongside that, thirdly, Christ will condemn. Christ will judge. In that judgment, he'll gather in his own. But if you don't know him, you'll actually be under his condemnation. The words that John the Baptist uses, he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's quite a sobering thought, isn't it? It's supposed to be. It's meant to be. John the Baptist is talking about that great last day when Christ returns as the judge of all. A little earlier I referred to that vision that Jesus gave to another John. The John who'd been one of his disciples, the apostle, who was an old man on the island of Patmos, as many of you are aware. And part of the vision that John the apostle saw was names written in the book of life. They are the names of all of those sheep on Christ's right hand who will receive their eternal inheritance that he speaks about in Matthew 25. They are the wheat gathered safely into the barn to be with God and enjoy him and worship him forever. But what about the rest? The chaff, the tares, the goats, different pictures, but speaking of the same group of people. What about them? Well, Revelation tells us they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All of the wicked in this world will be justly judged and punished. No one gets away with anything. God has seen and heard it all. Some of you may be thinking this coronavirus is a bad deal and that people need the gospel to give them hope now in life. Well, you wouldn't be wrong in thinking that. But let me tell you, there's something of far greater consequence that you need to have hope for. There's something of far greater consequence than this earthly life that you need to have hope for. Where will you be on that great day? 
Where will you spend eternity? Your worries about this temporary life should pale into insignificance when you start to think about the outcome of your being judged by Christ and what your experience will be for eternity. That's a long time, you know. Some claim that this condemnation and punishment of which the Bible speaks won't last forever. Well, as I open the Bible, I discover that they're absolutely wrong. Listen to the words of Jesus and his apostles. Well, we've already heard from John the Baptist. Unquenchable fire. What does that mean? Well, that's a fire that cannot be put out. That's a fire that cannot be extinguished. That's a fire that never stops burning. Kind of sounds like eternity to me. Mark chapter 9. Starting at verse 43. This is Jesus speaking. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's not talking literally there, but we don't have time to go into all of that. You can... Ask about it sometime. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He's just talking about the severity of sin and how seriously we need to take sin and righteousness. It's better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The seventh verse of Jude, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. 2 Thessalonians 1, the Apostle Paul writing, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction. Now that sounds pretty clear to me. They'll be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And the whole thing is actually perhaps most simply and helpfully and starkly summarized at the conclusion of that chapter I've referred to in Matthew, chapter 25, the one about the sheep and the goats. Right at the end of the chapter, Jesus begins firstly referring to those on his left. These, he says, and he's talking about the people on his left. Do you remember which they are on his left? They're the goats. These. And then he contrasts them to the sheep, the righteous, on his right hand. These, the righteous, these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Two clear options. Everlasting punishment, eternal life. It's eternity for both sides. 
Which side do you want to be on? Which side do you want to be on? We all seem to be one, but we're two. The process of separation has begun in the gospel. The day is coming when Christ will complete it and bring it, bring it to its fulfillment. And in the account of the rich man and Lazarus, I'm aware that there are issues to debate about that, but the account of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, we see the rich man, and he's in torment. And it's a very real, conscious experience that he's having. This is Jesus speaking in the scriptures. The one who will be that judge. The one who will bring about all of these things. I think he can be trusted to be speaking the truth on these matters, don't you? The world is one. Yet it is two. Left hand. Right hand. Goats. Chaff. Tears. Unbelief. Rejecting the gospel. Rejecting Christ, condemnation. I'm going to say the word hell. It's real. It's real. Sheep, wheat, belief, repentance, faith. Trusting in Christ, embracing him, hope, safety, peace, home, glory, heaven. I have a great friend, but I only know him through his writing, J.C. Ryle. He said this 150 years ago, we close. We need to be reminded that there is a hell as well as a heaven and an everlasting punishment for the wicked as well as everlasting life for the godly. We are fearfully apt to forget this. We talk of the love and mercy of God and of course we must and we should but we do not remember sufficiently his justice and his holiness. Let us be very careful on this point. It is no kindness to keep back the terrors of the Lord. It is good for us all to be taught that it is possible to be lost forever and that all unconverted people are hanging over the brink of the pit. Be in no doubt. Jesus teaches that eternity is beckoning all of us. The question is this. Left hand or right hand? Everlasting punishment. Eternal life. God 
so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 